0: Letter Twelve of the Shirley Letters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Shirley Letters from California Mines in 1851 and 52 by Dame Shirley. Louise Amelia Knapp Smith Clapp. Letter the Twelfth. A Stormy Winter. Holiday Saturnalias. From Our Log Cabin, Indian Bar, January twenty seventh, eighteen fifty two.--I wish that it were possible, dear M. to give you an idea of the perfect Saturnalia which has been held upon the river for the last three weeks, without at the same time causing you to think too severely of our good mountains. In truth, it requires not only a large intellect, but a large heart, to judge with becoming charity of the peculiar temptations of riches a more generous hospitable intelligent and industrious people than the inhabitants of the half-dozen bars of which rich bar is the nucleus never existed for you know how proverbially wearing it is to the nerves of manhood to be entirely without either occupation or amusement and that has been pre-eminently the case during the present month imagine a company of enterprising and excitable young men settled upon a sandy level about as large as a poor widow's potato-patch, walled in by sky-kissing hills, absolutely compelled to remain on account of the weather which has vetoed indefinitely their exodus, with no place to ride or drive, even if they had the necessary vehicles and quadrupeds, with no newspapers nor politics to interest them, deprived of all books but a few dog-eared novels of the poorest class, churches, lectures, lyceums, theatres, and— most unkindest cut of all pretty girls having become to these unhappy men mere myths without one of the thousand ways of passing time peculiar to civilization most of them living in damp gloomy cabins where heaven's dear light can enter only by the door and when you add to all these disagreeables the fact that During the never-to-be-forgotten month, the most remorseless, persevering rain which ever set itself to work to drive humanity mad has been pouring doggedly down, sweeping away bridges, lying in uncomfortable puddles about nearly all the habitations, wickedly insinuating itself beneath unumbrella protected shirt-collars, generously treating to a shower-bath and the rheumatism, sleeping bipeds who did not happen to have an India-rubber blanket, and, to crown all, rendering mining utterly impossible.' you cannot wonder that even the most moral should have become somewhat reckless. The Saturnalia commenced on Christmas evening at the Humboldt, which, on that very day, had passed into the hands of new proprietors. The most gorgeous preparations were made for celebrating the two events. The bar was retrimmed with red calico, the bowling alley had a new lining of the coarsest and whitest cotton cloth, and the broken lampshades were replaced by whole ones. All day long patient mules could be seen descending the hill, bending beneath casks of brandy and baskets of champagne, and for the first time in the history of that celebrated building the floor—wonderful to relate, it has a floor—was washed at a lavish expenditure of some fifty pails of water, the using up of one entire broom, and the melting away of sundry bars of the best yellow soap after which I am told that the enterprising and benevolent individuals who had undertaken the Herculean task succeeded in washing the boards through the hopeless load of dirt which had accumulated upon them during the summer and autumn. All these interesting particulars were communicated to me by Ned when he brought up dinner. That distinguished individual himself was in his element, and a most intense state of perspiration and excitement at the same time after dark we were startled by the loudest hurrahs which arose at the sight of an army of india-rubber coats the rain was falling in riverfuls each one enshrouding a rich barian, which was rapidly descending the hill this troop was headed by the general who lucky man that he is waved on high instead of a banner a live lantern actually composed of tin and window-glass and evidently intended by its maker to act in no capacity but that of a lantern the general is the largest and tallest and with one exception i think the oldest man upon the river he is about fifty i should fancy and wears a snow-white beard of such immense dimensions in both length and thickness that any elderly turk would expire with envy at the mere sight of it don't imagine that he is a reveller by no means the gay crowd followed him for the same reason that the king followed madame Blaise, because she went before At nine o'clock in the evening they had an oyster and champagne supper in the Humboldt, which was very gay with toasts, songs, speeches, etc. I believe that the company danced all night. At any rate, they were dancing when I went to sleep, and they were dancing when I woke the next morning. The revel was kept up in this mad way for three days, growing wilder every hour. Some never slept at all during that time on the fourth day they got past dancing and lying and drunken heaps about the bar-room commenced a most unearthly howling some barked like dogs some roared like bulls and others hissed like serpents and geese Many were too far gone to emulate anything but their own animalized selves. The scene, from the description I have had of it, must have been a complete illustration of the fable of Circe and her fearful transformations. Some of these bacchanals were among the most respectable and respected men upon the river. Many of them had resided here for more than a year, and had never been seen intoxicated before. It seemed as if they were seized with a reckless mania for pouring down liquor, which, as I said above, everything conspired to foster and increase. Of course there were some who kept themselves aloof from these excesses, but they were few, and were not allowed to enjoy their sobriety in peace. The revellers formed themselves into a mock vigilance committee, and when one of these unfortunates appeared outside, a constable, followed by those who were able to keep their legs, brought him before the court, where he was tried on some amusing charge, and invariably sentenced to treat the crowd." the prisoners had generally the good sense to submit cheerfully to their fate. Towards the latter part of the week people were compelled to be a little more quiet, from sheer exhaustion, but on New Year's Day, when there was a grand dinner at Rich Bar, the excitement broke out, if possible worse than ever. The same scenes, in a more or less aggravated form, in proportion as the strength of the actors held out, were repeated at Smith's Bar and the Junction nearly every day i was dreadfully frightened by seeing a boat-load of intoxicated men fall into the river where nothing but the fact of their being intoxicated saved many of them from drowning one morning about thirty dollars worth of bread it must have been tipsy-cake which the baker was conveying to smith's bar fell overboard and sailed merrily away towards marysville people passed the river in a boat which was managed by a pulley and rope that was strained across it from indian bar to the opposite shore Of the many acquaintances who had been in the habit of calling nearly every evening, three only appeared in the cabin during as many weeks. Now, however, the Saturnalia is about over. Ned and Chalk have nearly fiddled themselves into their respective graves, the claret, a favourite wine with miners, and oysters are exhausted, brandied fruits are rarely seen, and even port wine is beginning to look scarce old callers occasionally drop in looking dreadfully sheepish and subdued and so sorry and people are evidently arousing themselves from the bacchanal madness into which they were so suddenly and strangely drawn with the exception of my last this is the most unpleasant letter which i have ever felt it my duty to write to you perhaps you will wonder that i should touch upon such a disagreeable subject at all but i am bound molly by my promise to give you a true picture as much as in me lies of mining life and its peculiar temptations nothing extenuating nor setting down aught in malice but with all their failings believe me the miners as a class possess many truly admirable characteristics i have had a rather stupid time during the storm we have been in the habit of taking frequent rows upon the river in a funny little toppling canoe carved out of a log the bridge at one end of our boating ground and the rapids at the other made quite a pretty lake to be sure it was so small that we generally passed and repassed its beautiful surface at least thirty times in an hour but we did not mind that i can assure you we were only too glad to be able to go on to the water at all i used to return loaded down with the magnificent large leaves of some aquatic plant which the gentle frosts had painted with the most gorgeous colours lots of fragrant mint and a few wan white flowers which had lingered past their autumnal glory the richest hot-house bouquet could never give me half the pleasure which i took in arranging in a pretty vase of purple and white those gorgeous leaves they made me think of moorish arabesques so quaint and bizarre and at the same time dazzlingly brilliant were the varied tints they were in their glory at evening for like an oriental beauty they lighted up splendidly alas where one little month ago my little lake lay laughing up at the stars a turbid torrent rushes noisily by the poor little canoe was swept away with the bridge and splendid leaves hide their bright heads forever beneath the dark waters but i am not entirely bereft of the beautiful from my last walk i brought home a tiny bit of outdoors which through all the long rainy months that are to come will sing to me silently yet eloquently of the blue and gold of the vanished summer and the crimson and purple of its autumn it is a branch gathered from that prettiest feature of mountain scenery a moss-grown fir-tree. You will see them at every step, standing all lovely in this graceful robe. It is, in colour, a vivid pea-green, with little hard flowers which look more like dots than anything else, and contrast beautifully with the deeper verdure of the fir. The branch which I brought home I have placed above my window. It is three feet in length, and as large round as a person's arm, and there it remains, a cornice, wreathed with purple-starred tapestry, whose wondrous beauty no upholsterer can ever match." I have got the prettiest New Year's present. You will never guess what it is, so I shall have to tell you. On the eve of the year, as the general was lifting a glass of water, which had just been brought from the river, to his lips, he was startled at the sight of a tiny fish. He immediately put it into a glass jar and gave it to me. It is that most lovely of all the creatures of Thetis, a spotted trout, a little more than two inches in length. Its back, of minkled green and gold, is splashed with dots of the richest sable a mark of dark ruby colour in shape like an anchor crowns its elegant little head nothing can be prettier than the delicate wings of pale purple with which its snowy belly is faintly pencilled its jet-black eyes rimmed with silver within a circlet of rare sea-blue gleam like diamonds and its whole graceful shape is gilded with a shimmering sheen infinitely lovely when i watch it from across the room as it glides slowly round its crystal palace it reminds me of a beam of many-coloured light but when it glides up and down in its gay playfulness it gleams through the liquid atmosphere like a box of shining silver. A thing of beauty is a joy for ever, and truly I never weary watching the perfected loveliness of my graceful little captive. In the list of my deprivations above written I forgot to mention a fact which I know will gain me the sympathy of all carnivorously disposed people. It is that we have had no fresh meat for nearly a month— dark and ominous rumors are also floating through the moist air to the effect that the potatoes and onions are about to give out. But don't be alarmed, dear Molly. There is no danger of a famine.' for have we not got wagon-loads of hard dark hams whose indurated hearts nothing but the sharpest knife and the stoutest arm can penetrate have we not got quintals of a dreadful mackerel fearfully crystallized in black salt have we not barrels upon barrels of rusty pork and flour enough to victual a large army for the next two years yea verily have we and more also For we have oysters in cans, preserved meats, and sardines. Apropos, I detest them, by the hundred boxful. So hush the trembling of that tender little heart and shut those tearful and alarmed eyes, while I press a good night kiss on their drooping lids. End of letter twelve. Recorded by Rachel Ellen, May twenty ninth, two thousand eight, near Yosemite, California.